I have what I need. We um, are continuing our series in stones, and uh, we wanted to make sure that you picked up your stone because we want you to be able to respond in the way that you want to respond today. And uh, we're just making sure of that, that you have that opportunity to respond. And for those that are watching online, you can't see it, but to the side, we have a cross where we have been placing stones Sunday after Sunday. And our reason for that is Lent is really a time to examine ourselves, right? This is a time where we are examining ourselves. Uh, One of the things that we have said, very importantly, is even as pastors on the district and across Canada, as we've been gathering to pray, we've been doing that on Zoom, that's a positive thing that's come from COVID, as we have been gathering to pray, we've been praying for an awakening in the church, the National Church of Canada, and uh, Church of the Nazarene in Canada. We've been praying for revival, But a word that came to us as we've been praying is refiner's fire. And a word that came to me is is, uh, there is no such thing as an awakening or a revival without going through the refiner's fire. And so that's what we're doing in this season of Lent through this opportunity of looking at stones is self-examination, examining our hearts, saying, God, search me. Check me out. (laughs) Help me out. Show me. And and giving you opportunities, uh, you know, just something that seems so small and so insignificant. I have come to find out over the years the smallest things with God can make a major life change. And um, I remember us at NYC, and there was a young girl, and I watched NYC in 99, and all these people move and all these things that God was doing. And then often you wonder after a big event like that, well, was there really something that happened? And it was years later, we were at General Assembly and one of our uh, speakers in our church today, she's one of the well-known speakers, got up and said that it was one of those services at 1999 in NYC when God got hold of her. And here she was, a pastor, leader, speaker at one of the church's events decades later. And you began to realize that ultimately God knows that it just takes a moment, it just takes a commitment, it just takes that prayer sometimes that all it need, that all we need to see a total change in our hearts and lives and going in a new direction. So that's what we're doing through these weeks. And this week we're on our third week of stones. Our first week we looked at written on stone when God wrote the Ten Commandments and we examined our hearts about broken broken promises, and how many times we've made promises to God and have not kept them. Last week, we looked at that Jesus was the stone that was rejected, and because he was rejected, I am now accepted. And so we talked about going through rejection and the fact that Jesus is the stone that was rejected. I am now accepted and I can build my life on the cornerstone and I can look up to him as my capstone. This week, we're looking at sticks and stones. Now, you remember this as a child, not that statement. I remember as a child, we'd sit up on the hill and people were saying bad things about you. The bullies were around. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never hurt me. 
And Pastor Sheila will know that she's dealt with people where words have hurt. And we realize that words do hurt. And people do hurt us through life, right? Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can do permanent damage. And we remember what it was like to be around and the bullies were around. The people pointing their fingers at us. Bullies that left us wounded by their words. I like that statement. It's a simple statement. We've said it many times. You've heard it through the years. That as you point the finger, you can get your fingers out and point. As you point your finger, three fingers are pointing back. Now, you're not doing a very good job at that. As you point your finger, three fingers are pointing back. And so listen to this story. A young couple moves into a neighborhood. The next morning, while they are eating breakfast, the young woman sees her neighbor hanging the wash outside. That laundry isn't very clean, she said. She doesn't know how to wash correctly. Perhaps she needs better laundry soap. Her husband looked on, but he remained silent, smart man. Every time her neighbor would hang her wash to dry, the young woman would make the same comments, judging her laundry. About one month later, the woman was surprised to see a nice clean wash on the line and said to her husband, look, she has finally learned how to do her laundry correctly. I wonder who finally taught her how to do this. The husband said, I got up early this morning and cleaned our windows. That's a good one. How easy it is to point the finger at others, isn't it? Her looking out at the windows. Jesus, we see this woman who is now caught in adultery. As Pastor Mike read the message, John 8, verses 1 to 11, we chose the message this morning after we heard it just because it brings out the emphasis of really what's going on here. And so we see, as we open up chapter 8 in the Gospel of John, we see this partially naked woman being dragged uh, into the temple, uh, forced out in the public, separated from everyone who could protect her, judged and sentenced to death by all the religious bullies. John describes, that's the beginning of this chapter 8 that we open up and we go, wow. But he makes it very clear that this story is not about the woman. This story is more about those religious bullies <clears throat> who are trying to entrap Jesus. They didn't care really about her. They cared more about the fact that they're trying to trap Jesus. You can see some of that as you read chapter 7 of John because it says that they tried to arrest Jesus several times and didn't get the opportunity to arrest him. So now they come scheming with a plan to try and entrap Jesus. They actually interrupt Jesus as he's there in the temple. As they come into the temple, they're trying to entrap him. Teachers of the law, they were legalists. They were well-educated, well-known, reputed men of great wisdom, high moral standards, very religious, but not godly. Proud, self-confident, self-righteous, arrogant, ruthless, cunning, clever, and calculating. And Jesus is one of his favorite terms for them is... Hypocrite. 
Hypocrite, the actual meaning of the word, is Jesus often said that they were whitewashed tombs filled with dead man's bones. Basically, a hypocrite is the word comes from somebody putting on a play, acting, that you're putting on something, but there's nothing within. This woman, we really don't know a whole lot about her. We're not given her name. Uh, was she single, engaged, married? We don't know. Did she know these men? We don't know. Was she young or middle-aged? We don't know. We don't know any of that. We're not told that. Now, here's the interesting part in the story. In order for them to bring her forward, according to the law, they had to have two witnesses. So in this crowd of men, there had to be two witnesses, two men who actually stood and watched this happening. The question is, how long did they watch before they finally went in to grab her and drag her? The other question that comes up constantly is, where is the man? Ultimately, the law said that both of them were to be stoned, and yet all we see brought in and dragged before Jesus is a woman. And so there's some speculation that they had set this up. They had set this up to catch this woman in the act. The person who they had set up he got to leave, and she's the one now is dragged before Jesus in order to catch and entrap Jesus. They are using this woman as an object, as a tool, and we know that you are never to use another person as an object or a tool. And so they're trying to catch Jesus. And so why did they expose her publicly? That is not part of the law either, why did they feel they needed to do this? We know because they're trying to entrap Jesus. And so we see in verses 4 and 5 what they said to Jesus. Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? You see these spiritual police who feel it's their calling in life to go around and police everyone else of what people are doing and what they're not doing. This get Jesus committee, let's, let's get him. And so this woman, this trap that they're setting for Jesus is basically set up that if Jesus says, don't stone her, because Jesus was a friend to sinners. Jesus showed compassion. They knew that. And so they're assuming in this situation that Jesus once again will show compassion. And if he does that, if he says don't stone her, then that would mean that he violated the law of Moses and they could arrest him right there in the temple. And if he says, go ahead and stone her, then they could call the Romans in because the Romans were the only ones allowed to execute in those days. The Jews no longer could execute anyone. They were under Roman authority and law. And so this is the trap that they're trying to set for Jesus. And so we see that they feel themselves as being these moral watchdogs. Somehow because of, in their understanding, they wanted to kill Jesus, to take Jesus, to arrest Jesus. And somehow in, in their mindset, the end justifies the means. And so they can go around and try to set traps and capture him. 
In the midst of it, they're trying to be this spiritual watchdog, this spiritual police, standing around pointing the finger while three fingers are pointing back. Oh, we would never see that in the church, right? I remember being at camp many, many years ago, a new believer, and one of the preachers that they had come that year, he was quite elderly, Bill Griffin was his name, and he was quite wonderful preacher, and I still remember that camp meeting. There's one of those moments for me where God was working on my heart as a young believer. And he told a story one time about how he was pastoring in the States, and it was during the Vietnam War, and uh, one of the hardest things for him is when he would get the call to go to the airport to be with the families as the sons were being flown home in pieces, and he would be at the airport getting the caskets, And this is what he was dealing with as a pastor. He was dealing with people grieving and loss and brokenness and not understanding why. And then there was dear sister so-and-so. Pastor. Yes. Did you see Mrs. So-and-so? No. Well, she's wearing beads, Pastor. And you need to go see her and tell her to stop wearing beads because Christians don't wear beads. And he looked at this dear sister and said, I'm dealing with death and loss and brokenness and you're concerned about beads? That's what you're concerned about? Is beads? See, if we're not careful, the finger is pointing, but three fingers are always pointing back. If we're not careful, we can fall into this very place as the church of Jesus Christ where we feel we're the spiritual police. There are always some who feel they need to go around policing everyone else. Oh, it got quiet. I know we need to uphold the law. I know we need to have rules and regulations. I know we need to have guidelines. We need to have principles. All those things are good. Jesus would say amen to that. But when we take on an attitude of self-righteousness and have a judgmental spirit where we're going around judging other people, then we have missed it terribly. Oh, I could say so much more, but I won't. There's evil eagerness here to degrade the woman publicly to entrap Jesus. This is what they're out to do. And how did Jesus respond? Lord, give me the grace to respond like Jesus. (laughs) Give me the grace to respond like Jesus. Jesus writes on the ground. He bends down. Some believe, this is a lot of speculation when you come into this part of it, because nobody really knows what Jesus wrote. Maybe that's on purpose. But some believe like he, he he was shielding his stare from the woman out of respect for her and what they had put her through. Many believe he was just doodling with an attitude of indifference, because it says here they kept pressing him. And Jesus just nonchalantly is writing in the ground. Some, some believe that, that at one point, that because rabbis would do this, rabbis used the ground as their chalkboard in the temple, 
But, but some thought that maybe he was writing out a scripture. Others believed that as the scribes and the Pharisees were standing there, Jesus is actually writing out their sins. That's a very popular interpretation. But again, it's speculation. We don't know. Some people believe that Jesus was fulfilling prophecy here. As we see in this passage from Jeremiah, Lord, you are the hope of Israel. All who forsake you will be put to shame. Those who turn away from you will be written in the dust because they have forsaken the Lord, the spring of living water. And so it is this idea that they've been rejecting who Jesus is. And so now he is writing in the dust and prophecy over them. That because as this week goes on, he's rejected them, he now will reject them. And so one of the things that I think is quite interesting that somebody said too, that often we see dust or sand or we think that, but remember this is the temple courts, and the temple courts floors would have been stone. And so here is the finger of God writing in stone in front of them. We talked about that two weeks ago. The finger of God writing in stone. The lawmaker, the one who gave the law. These guys are coming to Jesus and telling him about the law when he was there when it was written. Kind of ironic, isn't it? And so Jesus gives them the answer that they're wanting an answer, but it's not the answer they're looking for right? If any one of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. He says, basically, okay, you can, you can go ahead and stone her if you're the one without sin. A man wanted to impress his friends with his eye for art as they went to an art gallery together, but like many here we see happen, forgot his glasses. He was nearsighted and couldn't hardly see his hand in front of his face, but he figured he could wing it as he could give comments about abstract uh, art and observations he wanted to make. He figured he'd been around that you know, block and he could just wing it. And so he approached a frame and began criticizing it with his friends around. Why would anyone want to paint something so hideously ugly? I mean, it's a true rendering of the object, but why waste time painting such a disgusting subject? <coughs> Everyone started to laugh. And his wife whispered in his ear, John, it's a mirror. See, Jesus is saying we need to look in the mirror. From time to time, we all need to look in the mirror. That's what we're talking about for Lent. We need to look in the mirror and do a reality check and see where we are at spiritually. See, these guys were there pointing the finger at her about adultery, but they were not morally qualified to actually make that judgment because we know at least two were standing there watching her and how long they were watching, we do not know. We know that they had this desire to trick Jesus, to entrap Jesus. And the word of God also said that a person was to have no malice or deceit or trickery, no dishonesty. 
and not to be guilty of the same crime that they were accusing her of. Matthew 7, 1-2 warns us. We heard this. Now, there is a place for judgment. I think there's a lie out there that says, oh, you don't go judging. You're not to judge. That is a lie because there is a place all throughout Scripture about giving a judgment, a godly judgment, right? That's not what we're talking about here. But Matthew 7, 1 to 2 says to us, whatever standard we use to judge others will be the standard you will be judged. Whatever standard we go around judging others is the standard that we're going to be judged. Now that makes me say, oh God, check my heart. And see, for Jesus, yes, the woman's sin was wrong, But Jesus is not so much concerned about her, but these accusers. And we're told, from the oldest to the youngest, one by one, they dropped their stone and left. Somebody, I like this statement, somebody said, if the inner thoughts of a man were written on his forehead, he would never take off his hat. See, Jesus, God knows our hearts. We can put on the show, we can pretend that we've got it together, but ultimately God knows our hearts. And he knows what we're thinking. And he knows what we're thinking of other people and what have been said secretly. And so God knows our hearts. The woman, Jesus comes now to her, now that all of them have left, and he says, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And she says, no one, Lord. I like, I like what it says in the message, no one, Master. Because some of our versions of the Bible says, sir, but that doesn't really bring across what she really said. She's calling him Lord and Master at this moment. And he says, neither do I condemn you. See, this woman knew she messed up. She knew she had sinned. And so Jesus decides to show her mercy, and Jesus covers her sin, praise God, and forgives her. And I praise God today that Jesus covered my sin and covered your sin. And see, there's a mistake we make as a church sometimes that we need to get this straightened out, and it needs to be changed. We can hate the sin while we still love the sinner. That's a message that somehow people from outside the church think that we hate everybody. God, help us. Where have we ever showed the love and the compassion of Jesus to those outside the church and in the church? That we can, there's a way that we can say, I don't agree with your lifestyle. I don't agree what what you're doing. But let me tell you, I love you. And I know someone else who does. And he loved you enough that he wanted to go to the cross to cover your sin. And he did it for me, and not just me, but he did it for you too. She says, no one, Lord. And in that brief moment, a small smidgen of faith seems to be there. She doesn't make any excuses. She she doesn't go around uh, telling people, you know, she doesn't say anything. She, She just is very quiet at his feet found out. No hiding it now. What should I do? Did she get up and leave with her accusers? No, she stayed at the feet of Jesus looking for his mercy. And he forgave her. 
Just look how Jesus treated this sinful woman. He faced her and he straightened up. He questioned her, woman, where are they? He forgave her. He says, neither do I condemn you. He challenged her, go now and leave your life of sin. He treated her with dignity and compassion and value. He treated her sin with total honesty. He imparted grace and hope. And he forgave her sin and sent her out to start a whole new life. Now, hear me right. Jesus didn't say, oh, it doesn't matter. You know, don't worry about it. <coughs> I understand. It's okay. As if she could keep on sinning. Jesus made it very, very clear that he took his stand on the sin too as well when he said to her, go and sin no more. So in that moment, she receives his forgiveness, and he is covering her sin. He will do that as he is nailed to a cross in that week. But he realizes that this is not what God has called you to. This is not the life that God has for you to continue on in sin. And so believers in Jesus Christ who say they love the Lord but continue to live a life of sin, that is a lie of the enemy. Because it is God's desire for all of us to live a godly life that honors him. Perfect? No. Perfecting? Yes, by God's grace. That's what holiness is all about. Is by God's grace, God is changing me. Little by little, I'm being changed and transformed into the image of Christ. More and more like Jesus. That's my desire. And so Jesus says to her, well, that's fine. Now you have been at my feet. I have forgiven you. But listen, there's a cost to following me. And part of that cost is go and sin no more. God has changed your life. I remember one time, remember Benny Hinn? And I remember watching Benny Hinn on TV. And there was someone who came up and he was doing his healing ministry. And people were coming up and there was a man who had heart disease, and he was really in a mess physically and in a bad place. And so Benny Hinn prayed over him, and he declared that he was healed. And I always remember Benny Hinn said something that day. I don't necessarily agree with all of it, but that one day he said something, and I thought, now that's interesting. He said, okay, now, now that God has healed you, don't you go out from this service and hit McDonald's and have a Big Mac and fries. <laughs> Basically, what he was saying is if God has healed you and healed you of, of, of this heart disease, and I mean, only God would know if it was true or not if he was truly healed, don't go out and go back and do the same things that you've done before that gave you heart disease in the first place. And see, sometimes we don't say that enough in the church, that God expects us now that we've been changed and forgiven, that we live a life that would honor him. And so he says to this woman, Go and sin no more. You have a second chance. You have a new beginning. Now go and prove it. As we bring this message to a close today, I'm going to, in a moment, we're going to watch a short video, and then I will pray. But as we bring this to a close today, at some point in our lives, we're all like this woman, needing God's forgiveness. We need to realize that we all deserve death. We don't deserve anything. We were doomed and condemned until Christ forgave us. 
And so we can rejoice in that because we have been condemned by our actions and condemned by our conscience and condemned by others. Oh, if I would lay my life out before you and all the things that I've done in the past, you would condemn me here today. But praise God, he doesn't. All of us, if our lives or our thoughts were an open book, and I don't know if that's what it's going to be like when we stand before his throne, that our lives will be played across the screen, I don't know. But I know one thing, it'll be written in red, forgiven, right across all my memories and what I've done, praise God. And some of us today, I've met many believers who know that they're forgiven, but yet are still living under the shame of a past that wasn't so pretty. And the enemy keeps trying to bring it up. And I want to say to you today, you are forgiven in Christ. He has covered your sins by his blood. And you need to know that today. That Jesus, as he stepped up and stepped in to rescue this woman at his feet, he steps up and steps in to rescue us if we will lay ourselves at his feet. And he gives us dignity and value. Basically, he brings us back into our dignity and value that God had for us before we messed up. I I often think, you know, Jesus said, that's what his church is for. (laughs) The mess-ups. His disciples were a group of mess-ups. And sometimes we need to remind ourselves where we have come from. But you know, today that Jesus had forgiveness, not just for the woman, but Jesus had forgiveness also for the stone-throwers. Yet they would not come to him and admit their sin. And we're not to ignore sin. They were legalists. They were so concerned. They were the ones who carried God's law through those 400 years until the Messiah showed up. But isn't that sad? They had carried it through. They had carried everything through those 400 years, and Jesus shows up and they don't recognize him. And I've been thinking, what about us? We're carrying the church through COVID. Carry it through. Let's get to the other side of this. And if Jesus showed up, we wouldn't recognize him? How sad if that would happen. How sad that would be for us too as the church if we would miss our divine appointment with God when God shows up. God, keep my heart soft enough and tender enough that I would know when you show up and I would be at your feet. We're never to use people as an object. They are always people of dignity and value and loved. And I'm sorry to say, when we point the finger at people, three fingers are pointing back. When we gossip, when we speak ill of people, that's what we're doing. We're basically going around self-righteous, saying somehow we're better than them. And Jesus would warn us too today, the way that we judge them, we shall also be judged accordingly. We need to check our hearts today. As they were wanting to destroy her, they weren't looking at what was going on. I know in my own life, I've said things, I've done things. This has challenged me this week, where it's been a judgment call. Not holy judgment, Betty Zita's judgment. And God has checked my heart this week and said, what are you doing when you do this? What are you doing? And, and, you know, like Jesus warned us, like, like he said, it's, it's like you're going around trying to pick the speck out of people's eyes when you got a two-by-four in your own. 
oh God, help me. Help me to work on my life, my issues, my concerns. Help me to pray for people, but help me never to point the finger as three are pointing back. I end with this story, and then we'll see the video. It's kind of a comical story, but it does bring a point. A woman was waiting at an airport one night with several long hours before her flight. She hunted for a book in the airport shop, bought a bag of cookies, and found a place to drop. She was engrossed in her book, but happened to see that the man beside her, as bold as he could be, grabbed a cookie or two from the bag between, which she tried to ignore to avoid a scene. She read and munched cookies and watched the clock as the gutsy cookie thief diminished her stock. She was getting more irritated as the minutes ticked by, thinking, if I wasn't so nice, I'd blacken his eye. With each cookie she took, he took one too. When only one was left, she wondered what he would do. With a smile on his face and a nervous laugh, he took the last cookie and broke it in half. He offered her half as he ate the other. She snatched it from him and thought, oh, brother, this guy has some nerve and he's also rude. Why, he didn't even show any gratitude. She sighed with relief when her flight was called. She gathered her belongings quickly and headed for the gate, refusing to look back at the thief. She boarded the plane and sank in her seat, then sought her book, which was almost complete. As she reached in her baggage, she gasped with surprise. There was her bag of cookies in front of her eyes. Yeah. If mine are here, she moaned with despair. Then the others were his, and he tried to share. Oh dear, too late to apologize. She realized with grief that she was the rude one. She was the thief. Well, watch the video now, and then I'll read a prayer. <clears throat> 